Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. It's great to see all of you this morning. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And whether you're with us in person or on the live stream, we offer a very, very warm welcome to all of you. We are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we offer a warm welcome to you. We hope you got our visitor's bag when you came in, just offering you some fun stuff to enjoy, uh, telling you a little bit about us as some of our vision and who we aspire to be. Part of that is developing relationships and friendships, and so we have on the end of each row a friendship pad, and this is all of you, visitors, regular attenders, members alike, you're invited to sign that, so if you're at the end of the row, we'd ask you to get that started and pass that down to your neighbor uh, and get that going. So. As we do that, several different announcements I want to make. Uh, first of all, you see the lovely flowers that are before the pulpit here. They are given uh, by the family of Harold Sowell in his memory, and so we just want to point that out uh, in terms of that. And then several other things. Uh, the women have an event coming up on Thursday, March 24th. It looks Looks to be a lot of fun down in historic downtown Macon, the Cherry Blossom Festival. It will be on Thursday the 24th. Ladies, you are to meet here at the church at 9.30 a.m. And the very, very important part is for you to RSVP to this young lady back here, uh, Mrs. Lynn Folks, by next Sunday, the 20th of March. So she has an idea of whether to get, you know, four vans, a bus, an RV, whatever transportation <laughs> is needed to carpool down and do that. Our new members class is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, it will be on Friday evening, April 1st, and Saturday, April 2nd. My wife and I host a dinner on the 1st at 6 o'clock at our home, and then at 9 o'clock we're here at the church. 
If you are interested, there are several ways to sign up. You can contact the office. You can uh, sign up you know, on the website. You can contact Yvonne, let her know. We just want to have an idea of how many might be coming to that. You see a couple of other notes in terms of uh, volunteers needed, both as we are transitioning in terms of communion, we want to, this is not so much COVID as it is being good stewards. You know, I'm not sure if what, 20,000 of those prepackaged things were purchased, but we don't want to waste money in terms of that. So we're using that, them up, and that should take us through April. And then in May, we're going to be returning to the more accustomed way, do I say it that way, of passing out the elements where the elders will come forward and we'll pass them out from there. So Barbara Pomeroli heads up the communion, the preparation of that, and she needs volunteers. So if you are interested in helping out with that, we would encourage you to contact her. And Tommy is still going strong, looking for volunteers to help out in the nursery. And so if you are inclined to work with our youngest covenant members, I would encourage you to contact the office or myself or Tommy in terms of that. So those are some of the things going on in the life of the church. There are other things mentioned in your bulletin. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money 
on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Friends, God is inviting you this morning into his very presence to bring your whole selves, bring your joys, bring your sorrows, bring your pain, bring your doubts, bring your fears. Let's give it all to him. Let's lay it down at his feet. He's calling you to come to him as you are, your real self. No pretense, no airs. He is inviting you to come and receive from him. He's inviting you to come for free. No cost to you at all. He paid it all. Will we receive from him this morning? Father, we invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to join with us as we receive your love and may your love overflow from within us to love you and to love one another. Grant us now your presence that we may taste and see that the Lord is good, that we may be captivated by your beauty, that we may glorify and exalt your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and sing together praise to the Lord, immortal, invisible, God only wise. Our confession of faith this morning comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, questions one and two. As I ponder this particular confession, it gives me such great encouragement. I don't know about you all, but the tendency or the propensity of my heart and my life is to always want to take control. Have you noticed I kind of like being in charge? And so to be reminded as we are, as we acknowledge what it is that we believe, that we don't belong to ourselves truly is the greatest comfort in heaven and on earth. So friends, responsibly, let's confess our faith together. My friends, what is your only comfort in life and death?
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that I'm aware of the call of my head and of the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? I would like at this time to invite Jim Madison and Bill and Lucianne McCartney to join me up here under the bright lights, if you would. Not that we want to make them nervous at all. Jim and Bill and Lucianne are our most recent new members, and I told them there is nothing to be nervous about that. They've already passed the test. They're in, and as Bill so greatly taught us in Sunday school this morning, Jesus said, if you're in, he will in no wise cast you out. So how's that for an encouragement? You can't flunk the test in front of everyone. Actually, what this is, the process of how membership works here at Lake Oconee is if you feel yourself kind of inclined and, and led and called, we want God to take the initiative, kind of the stirrings of the Holy Spirit in your heart. The very first thing you do is we ask that you take kind of an inquirer's or orientation class that lets you know kind of the basics of what, who we are, what we believe, some of our history, that's what's coming up in a few weeks. They did this back in November. Then if you're inclined, still inclined, as a matter of fact, if we haven't scared you off, I'll put it this way, that's, that's more on us, and they indicate a desire to join, at that point they come before the session, who part of the elder's role is to have that oversight uh, to welcome and to bring in new members. And so for Jim and Lucianne and Bill, they are already members of the church. There is nothing you can do to change that. And what this is, is a welcome and a recognition. And as far as I'm concerned, and I think I'm speaking for the session here, it's a celebration. It is one of the most joyous parts of what we do in terms of service in the church. And so I'm going to ask them these questions. These are kind of the membership vows that they learned about in the orientation class that they stated before the session. So if these are new to you, I'm going to really start questioning my teaching. <laughs> Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? And Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Let's pray together. 
Father, we praise you that you have brought to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Jim and Lucianne and Bill. We thank you more than anything that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Lord, we thank you that you've chosen to bless this particular local congregation, this particular local church. Lord, we are one tiny little sliver of your kingdom, of your bride. We thank you, Father, for the witness, the small witness that you allow us to bear to your greatness and your glory and your majesty and your grace and your mercy. So, Father, we pray for Jim and we pray for Bill and Lucianne. We pray, Father, for their um, and being enfolded into the life of the church, using of their gifts, the service that we offer to each other, that they are part of this particular body. And we ask, Father, that you would bless them as they cultivate doing life together with us as we do life together with them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's welcome them into membership. Brother? Absolutely. I want to help. <laughs> as we continue to celebrate the grace of God and worship him, let's stand together as we sing How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
be seated. We go to the Lord in prayer this morning. There is so much before us, both in our own church family, as well as in the world around us. I'm reminded of the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, when the people of God were in exile. So they were experiencing homelessness. They were, in a very real sense, refugees. They were away from sanctuary, church, if you would. And in Lamentations, so the book of Lamentations is written to express their heart before the Lord. And so in Lamentations chapter 3, which is kind of the center point of the book, it's written, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. I'm sure there are many right now that are remembering their affliction. But then they say, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we come before you thanking you for who you are. Thanking you, Father, for your great love, how deep the Father's love for us. How measureless it truly is. And we know we have the freedom to come before you without pretense, without airs, laying our hearts before you. We can say, remember our affliction and our wanderings. And there are many that we pray for. We lift up those who have experienced recent loss, like Marilyn Sowell or Tommy Evans and Russell Puppy. We ask, Father, for your comfort of them. We ask for those who are recovering from surgery. We think of Jerry Hill and Christine Ellison and Carolyn Stryker. And Lord, we pray for our dear friends Doug and Jean Hesse. And as he will be embarking this affliction, this trial, Lord, we remember with him our soul is knitted to theirs. And we ask for all those who are hurting, all those who are suffering, that we would remember and call to mind. And even when they don't have the strength, and many others don't have the strength to call to mind, may we call to mind with them and for them that your covenant faithfulness, your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies are never ending. They are renewed each and every morning. Your faithfulness is great, O oh Lord, we praise you. And you are our portion. You satisfy our soul. You are enough. 
Lord, may we hope in you. And as we look around the world and our hearts are burdened for our Ukrainian friends, Lord, our desire is that this war would come to an end, that swords would be broken down into plowshares. But we pray for those who are, we think of the separation of families, the separation of children from their dads, for dads who are staying back to fight, for the refugees going into many, many different other, other lands, other countries. Lord, we pray that you remember their woundedness, that you remember their pain. We pray, Father, for the chaos to come to an end. We long for thy kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we give ourselves to cultivating life and shalom and beauty in our own lives. Lord, may we remember that we are not the Christ. We can't control any of these things, but may we have hope in you, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.
I hope you enjoyed the song the choir just did because there's going to come a time in the not too distant future when we sing that together as a congregation. And I just want you to think about the words because we will feast in the house of Zion. We just prayed thy kingdom come, right? We believe that the kingdom of God, which is his universal reign and rule, it's shalom. It's what we're looking for. It's what we're longing for. When there'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. It's already been inaugurated. That's why we experience it in part. Hopefully you come in there this morning and even with your afflictions you have some joy. We have a mixture of peace and pain. A mixture of joy and sorrow. That's the already of the kingdom. The not yet, the thy kingdom come is likened in the scripture to a great feast, a great banquet. Think about what it says in Revelation when we will come together with the banquet table of the Lord. Jesus Christ says, I can't wait to feast together with my family, with my bride. That's what the words to that song. And when we come to the communion table in just a few, here I am preaching a communion sermon before the main sermon. Can you tell I was on vacation? My mind is all over the place. What do we do when we come to the communion table? We are feasting on the benefits of what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. So that it's not just a legal, I'm not saying it's not a legal declaration or a legal truth, but it's more than that. It's meant to connect with our very souls. That's why the Lord instituted sacraments whereby with ordinary elements, wine, grape juice, bread, where we taste and see his goodness, we feast together. So choir, thank you. I know Amy and I are stretching you a little bit, but we're grateful for your service, and this is some of what we want to sing together. Now, that was my communion sermon. Now let's go to the main text of the day, Romans chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, and before I read the text, let's pray together. Lord, I recognize that unless your Holy Spirit comes with power, these words can fall on a cold heart in myself and can fall on dead hearts on all of us. That we need the Spirit to awaken us. We need the Spirit to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear, to open our eyes to show us the wondrous beauty of you, Lord Jesus. May we be captivated by you. Even as we hear some of the bad news, may it only be that the good news is that much better to us. That we would, through word and table this morning, taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're finishing this morning Romans chapter 6, and so let me read Romans chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, the passage upon which our teaching is based this morning. Paul writes, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May the Lord add his blessing 
to the reading of his word. As you know, we just returned from a wonderful, wonderful vacation uh, to Oklahoma City, visiting our friends. I survived turning 60. Thank you. I know some of you are looking at me and going, oh, silly, silly Jeff. But for me, it was, it was traumatic. Okay, I don't look in the mirror and say, this guy is 60. <laughs> How deluded can I be? And I remember when we first moved to Oklahoma City, way back in the 90s, somewhat uh, beginning of my ministry career, when we moved from Philadelphia to Oklahoma City, it was kind of our most cross-cultural move to that point. I was accustomed to growing up more in a city or city-like atmosphere. And so I remember our first morning in Oklahoma shooting straight out of bed at 4.30 in the morning because I heard something outside. And I'm like, Evie, Evie, what is that? Get up, what is that? And she looked at me, oh, silly man that I've married, that is a cow mooing. I didn't know it at the time because, you know, the providence of God is something you more see in hindsight than foresight, but I think God was preparing me 25 years ago uh, to our move to Georgia, where I say hi to the cows on a daily basis now as a part of loving God's creation. So when you move from one area to another, one of the first things you need to learn are directions. You're unfamiliar. How to get from point A to point B, how to get from one place to another, the various destinations that you're heading in. It wasn't like today where we have GPS, and I still put my GPS on all the time, going around different places. As a matter of fact, as Evie and I were driving to Oklahoma City this past week, we were talking about, do anybody remember AAA's triptychs? Remember those triptychs? You would order them from AAA, and you'd come, of course, a book lover that I am, you'd love it, you'd get this great book. Oh, look at all. 4,000-mile trip, and you do this. Now, you just, and I had to, on the way home, change the voice of Siri and make it from a woman to the English accent Siri, just so I could get used to uh, her telling me, turn on to I this and I that. Now, what does this have to do with Romans chapter 6? Paul is summarizing what he's been teaching throughout the chapter, talking about two realms. He's been calling them sin and grace. Let's call them death and life, because that's ultimately what he's talking about here. These are life and death issues to us, and why he's talking about how the realm of grace, the reign of grace, verse 14, you're not under law, but under grace, that's your position, could not possibly lead to living in sin, which is the question of verse 15, that the rest of this passage is answering. He's talking about how the reign of grace leads to life. And in verses 20 to 23, the text we're looking at this morning, he finishes answering the question of verse 15, of whether being under grace leads to continuing a life of sin, by explaining the two destinations of these two realms. Sin leads to death. Death is the destination of sin. And he's not talking here just about, we have to get our definitions and our terminology straight. When he talks about sin, he's not just talking about breaking the rules. He's talking about the brokenness and alienation. And I'm going to come back to this 
that's within ourselves and the world around us. And when he talks about death, it's not just physical death at the end of our life. It culminates in that, and it can culminate in ultimate alienation and separation from God, what the Bible calls judgment or hell. But it's alienation that we feel now, especially in the areas of alienation from God. You ever notice why we struggle to pray? Sometimes worship feels cold. Sometimes we read the Bible and we feel like we get nothing. Other times, that's part of death weighing in on us, alienation we have from ourselves. Walk into a room where you don't know anybody. Anybody ever feel nervous or awkward, a little fragile, a little insecure? That's alienation from self that leads to alienation from others and ultimately alienation from the world. Why we have wars, why we have division, why we have injustice, why we have hatred. The wages of sin is death. Verses 20 to 23, Paul is bringing out this contrast of the two destinations of the two realms. Sin brings death, whereas grace brings life. And of course, he's doing that to answer, how can in any way, shape, or form being under grace lead you to a life of sin? Grace has freed you from the tyranny of sin and leads to life. And why is Paul doing this? He's doing this, and we need to remember the context. He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to believers, and he is motivating them to cultivate life, to pursue holiness, to do... We always use verse 23 as an evangelistic verse, and it can be used as that. I'm not telling anybody, don't use that as an evangelistic verse. Continue to use that. But friends, remember the context. Paul was writing this letter to the church at Rome. That means he's writing to believers, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, motivating them to live and pursue life and holiness. Why does he do that? In this text, he shows us two reasons. And the reasons are simple. Because sin destroys everything, and grace restores everything. Isn't that the bad news? Sin destroys everything. It's destructive. That's why it's so much more than just breaking the rules. But here's the good news. Grace changes everything. Grace transforms everything. Why do you think I preach grace? I'm not afraid to preach hell. I'm not afraid to preach those other things. In fact, the point of preaching those things is so that, and here's my goal for us, so that grace absolutely explodes in our lives because grace transforms everything. Okay, look with me at verse 20. We have to look at the bad news first. Bear with me. Sin destroys everything. Verse 20 says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Verse 20 is giving the basis or reason for the imperative of verse 19. Now, remember verse 19? I covered that two weeks ago, where again, there was an exhortation, an imperative, a command of the Apostle Paul to present your members, your hands, your feet, your tongue, what you say, your heart, the members of your body, present them as slaves of righteousness. In other words, give yourselves to, 
You're in the realm of grace. Commit your lives to pursuing and giving your members to the realm of grace. Use your tongues to bless and not curse. Use your tongues to give life and not take life away. Use your hands and feet to serve. That was the exhortation. And verse 20 explains why believers should do that. And it's interesting. He gives kind of a counterintuitive reason for doing it when he says, well, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And we might say, how in the world is that a motivation to pursue holiness? That doesn't seem to make sense. What is Paul doing? Well, he's inviting a bit of self-reflection, self-awareness, not always something that we are terribly good at. And he's saying that what's best for us, what leads to life, giving ourselves, is not always what we did. In fact, when we were under the realm of sin, we were completely free in regard to the realm of grace, to righteousness. In other words, we were free to do what we want. And we might be saying, oh, that's wonderful. I like freedom. No restrictions. I do what we want. That's not the point of freedom. Freedom is not simply a freedom from restrictions. Freedom is meant to be a freedom to. A freedom to living the life God has designed for us. Living a life where we're slaves of his realm, slaves of righteousness. Again, it is so important for us to have the right understanding of sin and death. Sin is not just, I broke the law, I broke the rules. Sin is more akin to a disease that invades our bodies, invades us. I included as our reflection this morning a quote from a writer, his name's Cornelius Plantinga. I think it's actually one of the best books on the top. If you want a cheerful, upbuilding up book, read his book. Not the way it's supposed to be. You notice I said cheerful and upbuilding in a sarcastic way a little bit. Anybody catch? See, I have to do things to make sure you're awake with me sometimes. But it's actually a tremendous book on what sin is. Listen to this quote. I put it in your reflection, so if you still have that, it's there in your notes. He writes, in the Bible, shalom. Shalom was the Hebrew's word for peace and life. It is, the, it is a good one-word description of the realm of grace. So when we read the summary verse of verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That is the free gift of God. No cost to us. Jesus paid it all. Is shalom, what our hearts were built for, what we ache for, what we cry for, what we're longing for. And what shalom means is universal flourishing. That means every level of existence, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, psychological, cultural. It is a wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Sin grieves God and hurts other people, but it also corrodes us. Sin is a form of self-abuse. 
sin is self-destructive. Paul is motivated. So what does Paul say? Verse 20, he says, when you were slaves of sin, when that was the realm you lived in, yeah, God left you alone. We think of discipline as one of the worst things. Discipline, you should welcome the discipline of God. It is an assurance that you belong to him, that you're his son or daughter. What you don't want is for God to leave you alone. To God say, I'll just let you go your own way. You want, remember the book of Jonah? Jonah is a great illustration of this. Jonah was told, go one way, he went the other way. What did God do? He intercepted his self-destructive behavior. He intercepted him with a big fish. You want God to put a big fish in your life. Because the wages of sin is death. You want God to, see, and that's not just physical death or ultimate death. We long for shalom and the wages of us living for ourselves. We need to recognize sin destroys everything. And the wages of us living where we are selfish, where we revolve around ourselves, where all we're thinking of is protecting ourselves, taking care of ourselves, our own security, it will lead to this little breakdown between our relationship with God, ourselves, others, and the world. We long for shalom, we long for glory, we long for significance. See, Paul's inviting self-reflection. That's why he says in verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? See, look, when you were living that kind of life, what fruit did it produce? For the end of those things is death. He's talking about the disintegration and the alienation from God's self, others, and the world that comes when we live for ourselves. Remember, he's speaking to believers. He's asking them, remember the, the show Dr. Phil? I never watched Dr. Phil, but I remember his one line that he would say to people, if anybody's ever watched Dr. Phil, he would always say, how is that working for you? Paul is asking the church, you're living for yourself? You're not giving yourself to God. You're not giving yourself to others. You're really not committed to loving God and loving us. How's that working for you? You know why he's doing that? Because he knows selfishness, self-protection, self-centeredness leads to death. Giving yourself wholeheartedly to God and the realm of grace is the only thing that leads to life. And he's exhorting and he's encouraging. He's reminding us that sin destroys everything, that sin at its heart is not just a breaking of the rules, it's a violation of the life of shalom that God created. It destroys beauty, it destroys peace, it destroys relationships, it destroys justice. If I could paraphrase Paul, he's saying, do you want to truly be happy? Truly experience what God has designed for you. He's the creator, you're the creature, then live for God. The practical problem that we have is the same as Adam and Eve had back in the garden, though. We don't trust that God is really good. We think, if I really give myself, God, he asks me to do things like love my enemies, forgive those who have perpetrated sin against me. He asks me to trust him with whatever it is he may be calling me. The problem is, 
deep within our hearts, kind of embedded within our hearts, this is a part of the sin nature, is that we're going, God, you must be withholding something. You must be withholding something good. See, we need to look at, and this is the first point, Paul is saying, look at how sin destroys everything, including you. See, it's hard not to be involved in ministry of any sort, service of any sort. I'm not just talking about vocational ministry. Ministry to your families, ministry to one another, ministry in the neighborhood, ministry wherever you might be doing. It's hard not to see the destructive effects of sin. Broken marriages, broken relationships, relational tension to any of the issues we struggle with. From injustice to pornography to abuse, all our selfishness, our anxiety, unhappiness, sin destroys. And we need to understand, we're not just perpetrators of sin. Every single one of us have been sinned against. You want to know what's true of every human being on the face of the planet? Every human being on the face of the planet is both a perpetrator and a victim. Never one or the other. You know what, want to know why that is? Because we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death and that means we've sinned ourselves, perpetrator, and we live with seven billion other sinners. We've been sinned against. That means every single person you meet and you talk to has experienced some sort of trauma in their life. They've experienced some sort of pain that they're carrying around in their life that impacts them. We need to recognize that every single one of us needs forgiveness and needs to forgive. That's Paul's first point. Look with me now at verses 22 and 23. You ready for the good news? Don't you love when a text and a passage says, but now? See, it's kind of like those passages that say, but God. It's kind of like, all right, we've brought our lament. We've brought our sorrow. We've brought our trauma we've brought, and now we get to, but now. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin. Remember the picture Paul is painting. This is a new exodus. You've been, he wants his readers to think back to the paradigm of salvation of the Old Testament. You have been released and set free from the tyranny of Egypt. And yes, you're headed towards your destination of the promised land. And what's in the middle? The wilderness. That's the already and not yet. That's the paradigm of the Exodus. You've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. That means the life of the world to come has begun in you. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying... The life of the world to come has begun. It's been brought into the middle of history. The end of history has been brought. You experience some of that. What Paul is exhorting now is give your members to that. Give yourselves to that. Cultivate shalom. Cultivate beauty. Cultivate peace. He's motivating, calling believers to a life of holiness. And verse 23 concludes and summarizes the whole passage. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Death and life, not just ultimate outcomes. How we live now is either cultivating life or cultivating death. A life of love, being life-giving, 
or life for self, which cultivates death. Paul is exhorting us to give ourselves to the realm of grace. Why do we struggle with that? We struggle with it because we know if we do that, it leaves us vulnerable. There will be pain. There will be risk. There will be hurt. The wilderness is not just simply a sweet walk in the park where we come by the brook and we see Bambi drinking the water. The wilderness in the biblical imagery is a dry, arid, lifeless place. That's why the Old Testament people of God, when they traveled in the wilderness, they were fed by manna from heaven. They couldn't produce food on their own. They were fed miraculously and supernaturally by manna from heaven. We walk in the wilderness, and we have to be fed by word, prayer, fellowship, and table. We need supernatural gifts to strengthen us, to uphold us. None of us are strong enough to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and make it. You have no bootstraps, and even if you had them, you couldn't pull yourself up by them. You need grace, and that's why they're called means of grace, to help us. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, has an incredible quote, one of my favorite quotes. You'll hear me quote it time and time again about the risks of love, about basically the choices of love and selfishness, love and self-protection, which is another way of saying life and death. Listen to this quote. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Paul is saying, look at the destinations of your type of life. Self-protection, alienation, isolation, sin leads to death. You may feel safer. You may feel more in control. This is a matter of heart and relationships. But grace leads to life. You may be hurt, but it leads to life. Paul's encouraging us. Grace is a free gift. He's saying the free gift of God. And we need to remember that as we wrestle with our sin, ourselves, are always feeling the tension of our characters, our struggle, the struggle we have between sin and righteousness, between selfishness and other-centeredness, between our natural selves and what God is working in us in the way of God and other-centeredness. See, look at what grace is. Grace transforms everything. Grace is not simply fire insurance for when you die. Grace is meant to transform your life and your relationships here and now. But it's going to take risk. It's going to take being willing to open our hearts to God and to each other. It does cause pain. It causes brokenness. It's going to take honesty. But friends, remember the free gift of God is life. 
Paul is basically challenging the Roman Christians, don't you want life, eternal life, life in a new dimension, life in all its fullness, the life of the world to come. We need to remember when we read the New Testament, the picture that the New Testament gives us is that of a contrast between two ages or two realms. The present age, which is an age where wickedness rules God's world, sin destroys everything, and the age to come where God's rule triumphs at last, brings shalom. This age in Christ Jesus our Lord, the world's true Lord. And we need to recognize what Jesus did. In the resurrection of Jesus, the free gift of God, eternal life, the life of the world to come in Christ Jesus our Lord. When he was resurrected, he brought the life of the world to come forward into the middle of this present age. So my Christian friends, here's the simple question. Which age do you embody? Which age are you living for? Are you living for the life of the world to come? Where grace, counter-cultural, counter-intuitive as it might sound, transforms everything. Grace restores shalom. Let's pray. Lord God, I do pray that you would give us hope. The hope in the life of the world to come. The hope in what Jesus has brought us. Lord, help us to hope in Jesus. Many of us, we are struggling. We are hurting. We desperately, desperately need you, and we need your grace. Help us to just bear our hearts, bring ourselves before you. And Father, we thank you that your mercies never end. Your steadfast love never ceases. Hold on to us even when we don't have the ability to hold on to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you all got one of the little prepackaged things as we come to participate in the Lord's Supper. If you didn't, raise your hand and one of the deacons are up. Okay. <laughs> deacons, ushers, we need a couple up here. Make sure we have this. Paul up front here. Lou and Karen, make sure they, they have their hands up. Hard work to be good stewards, isn't it? The Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We will feast in the house of Zion. And Jesus Christ, this is his table. This isn't mine or the elders or Lake Oconee Presbyterian's table. This is the table of the Lord. Jesus Christ has instituted this sacrament to communicate to baptized believers the benefits of what it means to belong to him. 
And so if you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of any evangelical church, you are invited to come to the table this morning. You are invited to come and to feast in the house of Zion. To recognize that the God of Jacob is our strength. To cry out for him, please bring shalom. To recognize we're hungry and we're thirsty and we need to feast on what he has done. He is communicating to us. You know what our jobs is to do? It's to receive. As Jack Miller always said, it's to be like the earth drinking in the rain. What does the earth do to drink in the rain? Absolutely nothing. It lays there and receives it. Believe it or not, it exalts and glorifies God for you to do nothing but to receive and let his love overflow from your life to others. Only if you are not ready yet to trust in the Lord would we ask you to let the elements pass by. But our invitation, we would love for you to trust in him. It's scary. It may feel like stepping off a cliff but he's got you. He has you. So if you feel the Lord calling you, I would encourage you to receive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these elements, these normal elements, but they're being used for a very special purpose this morning to communicate to us as a sign and as a seal of what it means to belong to you. So, Father, may our hearts receive life. May our hearts be encouraged. May our hearts be renewed in hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. But God showed his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. May we be tethered to your cross and live by the power of the resurrection. Relying upon your love for us, overflowing to a life of love towards you and towards others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we close our service, let's stand and sing together, O Sacred Head Now Wounded.
Now, friends, I invite you to receive the Lord's benediction, to receive his blessing that you may leave this place to be a blessing to the world. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.